Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 27. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, And in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, And pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you, have, that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. This is God's word. Amen. Well, let me begin with a little story that will alleviate any of you who think we might be here till three o'clock after that passage. Um, there was a pastor who uh, had a farmer in his congregation, perhaps somewhere in the countryside, and the pastor wanted to improve uh, this farmer's theological understanding, so he lent him a very big book, one of these, you know, tomes that you can judge their profundity by their pure weight. And uh, so the pastor led uh, the farmer this book, and a few weeks later he came across him again out in the fields while the pastor was visiting uh, some folk. And so the farmer uh, and he were chatting for a little bit, and the pastor says, so how's, how's this book going that I lent you? And the farmer paused and said, well, minister, it's a hard book. It's a very hard book. But I'll tell you one thing, the Bible does shed some light on it. And uh, here, actually, though it's a long section, John tends to write in a rather circular fashion. And so it's helpful for us to get an overview of what he's saying, because otherwise we'll miss the wood for the trees or the the house for the piano in the third room on the left or whatever it is. So um, here, there's a very simple structure. Uh, John is saying, from the beginning, he's saying... To know that we know God, we need to follow Jesus from the beginning. So at the beginning of, the, of our passage, and then at the end, he uses this phrase, verse 7, from the beginning, and then uh, right towards the end, uh, twice over, tw- verse 24, from the beginning. And then right in the middle of the passage, verses 13 and 14, at the sort of fulcrum of the passage, again, he has the same phrase, from the beginning, from the beginning. So what John is saying is, if you want to know that you know God, What you need to realize is, uh, are you following Jesus from the beginning? Now, what does that mean? Well, he tells us it means two things. Uh, Love Christians and believe that Jesus is the Christ. So how do you know whether you know God? You follow Jesus from the beginning, which means you need to love Christians and believe that Jesus is the Christ. So we're going to look at those two things. First, love Christians. Christians. And this is really uh, the summary uh, theme of the first half of the passage from verse 1 to verse 17, uh, verse uh, 3 to verse 17. And so he says there right at the beginning, uh, he says, uh, if you want to know whether you know uh, God, you have to obey him. And he talks about that for a little while. And then he says, uh, verse 7, well, what does he mean by obeying him? Well, he says he's writing not a new commandment, but at the same time, it's an old commandment. This is the old commandment, verse 7. Uh, verse 8, which is also at the same time a new commandment. Well, John, uh, what are you talking about? Have you, uh, are you losing your marbles? Why is it both old and new at the same time? Well, the reason for this is the commandment to love Christians is, in fact, both an old commandment and a new commandment. Why? Because John is quoting Jesus' teaching in the gospel when Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another as, uh, he, as uh, I have loved you. John 13. So this is, quote-unquote, the new commandment. <laughs> See, that's what John is talking about. But at the same time, it's an old commandment because now he's referring to it again. You see, It's an old commandment because it's the one that was told them from the beginning. 
So John is saying this, I'm not teaching you anything new by this command to love each other. This is the old commandment you heard from Jesus. Now, now, do you remember, Christian, I taught you this. When he said, let me quote it for you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, John 13, 34. That old commandment, you remember it, I've told it to you before. Now, John is very firm about this principle of loving other Christians because it is the principle that Jesus taught from the beginning. It's from the very lips of Jesus himself. And so he says very clearly that if we claim to know God but we do not obey his commandments, we lie. Well, what particular commandment are you talking about here, John? Well, you've got to walk as Jesus did. What does that mean, uh, John? Well, what did Jesus command, he says? Do you remember that commandment? Love one another. That's how you know. And so John says, verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. This is a clear principle of how you know whether you know God. So someone can say that they have a lot of light, they have great intellectual illumination, or perhaps they have a lot of amazing spiritual experiences of one kind or another. Someone can say they have the light, but they do not love other Christians, then they're lying. Why? Because right from the beginning, when Jesus taught, when He was here, as it were, in the flesh, in the beginning, Jesus established it as a principle that whoever knows God will love God's people. And in the new covenant now, God's people are other Christian people, other of Christ's people. So, on the other hand, by the same token, verse 10, you can be encouraged. Whoever does love his brother abides in the light. You are in the light. If you here this morning, you're not sure whether you really do know God. If you love the people around you, God's people, it's a good sign that you are in the light. We are the true Illuminati, if you want to use that phrase. We have true spirituality, the genuine intellectual illumination, those who truly know God, if you're loving God's people. And in such a person, John says, there's no cause for stumbling. See, it's the picture language that John's using about darkness and light. He's saying that someone who does not love other Christians is actually about to stumble uh, over a chair in the middle of the room because they think the lights are on and they, uh, they can see where they're going, but really they cannot. It's darkness, and they, so they rush across the room and stumble against the chair, which they cannot see because it's in the dark. So that's the first principle of how we know we know God. Are you loving other Christians? Now, John then tells us what this means in practice. And so, verses 12 to 14, there's this little poem. It's uh, structured in a straightforward way. Uh, uh, literary theorists would just tell us it's A, B, C, A, B, C. Uh, that is, uh, little children, A, fathers, B, young men, C, and then repeated children, fathers, young men once more. It's a mirror poem, if you like. And by this poem, John is simply saying that uh, loving other Christians means loving other Christians whether they're old, young, or in between. Uh, there are minor variations between his descriptions of these different generations in the church, uh, but uh, they're mainly stylistic differences, in my opinion, just for the sake of the poem to make it sound interesting and memorable. But what he's emphasizing in verse 13 on the one side of the mirror, and then again verse 14 on the other side of this mirror poem, is that this love 
that he is modeling by how he's writing to these different people. Little children, fathers, young men. This is how it was from the beginning. He's, he's conjuring up in their minds the way that Jesus treated people. Saying, this is how you know whether you're his people. If you love people of all generations in the family of God. And John, in the way he writes and the tone with which he writes, he's, he's modeling that kind of love for other Christians doesn't just mean loving other Christians who are the same as you, who wear the same clothes as you, who have the same taste as you, or the same age as you. It means loving the junior high. It means loving the crying baby that disturbs when you're trying to listen. Oh, that, no, loving that baby. It means loving uh, the aged. Sometimes, have you heard the, um, the bee theory of church? Church is filled with newbies, wannabes, and has-beens. And so we can, oh, that person, they're so zealous, but they know nothing. Or that other person, all they want to do is get ahead, and uh, you know, uh, we need to pour a lot of water on that zeal. Or that person, well, they were great once, but we all know they have very little to offer now. Newbies, wannabes, and has-beens. John says, no, actually, we need to look at them as the saved, the strong, and the secure. Love across all the multi-generational scope of a church. That's what it means to love other Christians practically uh, in a positive way. Loving all God's people, however mature or immature they may seem to us. And then from, the, from another perspective, what does it not mean doing? Well, this is verses 15 to 17. Uh, it means uh, not loving the world. Uh, now, uh, by the world, John always means the sinful, rebellious world. That's what he always means by that phrase. John doesn't mean the beautiful creation. <laughs> he doesn't actually mean here sort of other people in the world. I mean, uh, he, he, in John's gospel, uh, Jesus tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for the world. So in that sense, we're to love the world. But here, by the world, he means, as he tells us, verse 16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. So what does that mean? Well, in other words, in order to love other Christians, you've got to stop loving yourself so much. Your desires are going to get in the way. What you want the pride of your life, the desires of what you see in your vision for how things should be. If you're going to love other people, you've got to put that to one side. Now, of course, as someone who is loved by God since before eternity past to eternity future, you as a Christian are infinitely valuable. And so in one sense, you cannot love yourself enough. That's how much God loves you. But in another sense, we're not to love ourselves in a sort of selfish way, in the sense of thinking of ourselves as better than other people, and therefore in a way that puts our desires, our vision, the pride of our life ahead of all these other people, whether they're older than us, younger than us, or the same age as us. And actually, that kind of love is really worldliness, John says. If you want a definition for worldliness, that's what it is, loving yourself more than other, other Christians. John's not talking about the finer things of life, by saying, don't love the world. No, he, he, 
he's talking about this sort of um, love of yourself in, a, in this selfish sense. It's talking about thinking that we're better than other of God's people. And he's saying, actually, that's a sign we don't really love the Father enough, or perhaps at all. And I have to underline this for you, because John could not really have raised the stakes any higher. We think we know God, but we do not love other Christians. He's saying we lie. And of course, when we hear that, we want to know, well, John, how do we love other Christians? What does that actually mean, John, in practice? What he says is, well, what you've got to do is I'm going to model it for you now. I'm writing to you, dear children. I'm writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, young men. He's modeling the way we're to look at different generations. The saved, the strong, the secure. That's what it means. And then we come back to John and say, well, John, I find that very hard because it means I don't always get what I want. And John says, ah, that's the point. You must stop loving the world. That is putting your desires first, your prideful opinions first. No, to love other people, you have to love them as Christ loved you. You've got to put the needs of God's people above your own personal needs, your own personal desires. And so uh, the person, uh, John concludes this first section about following Jesus from the beginning, that is modeled from what he said in his words, from the beginning who so loves other Christians is following this new commandment of Jesus. Do you remember the new commandment, quote-unquote? It's an old commandment. You've heard it before. To love others as He loved us. That person is actually doing the will of God. To know that you know God, you've got to do His will. What does it mean? It means to love other Christians. And it's that person, verse 17, who will live forever. How do you know God? How do you know that you know God? By loving Christians. John, as it were, is saying this. If you want to get to heaven, you better start now loving the people you'll spend eternity with. Or it may well be you do not really belong there at all. could be a sign that really you're not part of God's people, and therefore you need to become a part of that. Whether you grew up in a Christian culture or not, you don't have any love for God's people. Maybe you need to know God. So from the beginning, first, loving other Christians. Second, it means then believing that Jesus is the Christ. This runs from verse 18 to verse 27, the second section. Again, it's, it seems a little complicated, but really it's pretty simple. And I want to give you an overview of this uh, passage, which has all this antichrist language in it, which People often get rather scared about, but we, we don't need to be. So let me just walk you through it. John begins by warning us that the Antichrist is coming and that many Antichrists have come. That's verse 18. Now, there are many different opinions about exactly who this was or whether it's an emphasis rather than a person in the end. Uh, we don't need to get into all those um, sub-minor uh, discussions. Just let's walk through the passage. Now, we know because of this, because the Antichrist is coming, and in fact, many Antichrists have come, verse 18, because this is the case, John says, we know it is the last hour. That is, Jesus has come, but he hasn't yet returned. We're living in, in some way or other, the last hour. And again, there are differences of opinion on that, but we don't need to get into those kind of details. We're just walking through the passage. They who are Antichrist, at verse 19, is they who have left us. And he's returning to the theme of loving uh, God's people. 
In the end, we leave God's people. It's a pretty good sign that we never really belong to God at all. They never really were a part of us. That's why they left us, verse 19. But we, verse 20, and this is key, have an anointing from the Holy One. We know the truth, verse 21. And so then he returns to this Antichrist he's introduced. Who is this Antichrist? Well, John tells us specifically, verse 22, he asks, who is the liar? Well, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, that is, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He who denies the Father and the Son. In other words, to be Antichrist or have an Antichrist emphasis, and I'm sure there are more extreme and less extreme ways of doing it, but to be Antichrist means, at the very least, to be against the teaching or even teaching against the teaching that Jesus is the Christ. That's Antichrist. It's saying that Jesus is not the Christ. See, Christ is not a surname uh, for Jesus. You know, first name Jesus, second name Christ. No, it is a title uh, meaning anointed uh, Christ, that Jesus is the King because the anointed one all the way from the Old Testament, David, was promised the anointed one. He is the King, Jesus Christ, the King. And the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, therefore, is speaking an antichrist against Jesus is a Christ uh, message. And uh, that one is coming, and in fact, there are many already who uh, deny that Jesus is the Christ. They say they have the Father. They say they have God. But John teaches us in one of the most important verses in perhaps uh, the Bible for our day and age with its multiculturalism and many different religious options. Verse 23. If you want to learn one verse from 1 John, let me encourage you to learn this one. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Now, that's quite a thing to say today. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. How can John say that? Well, it's just very logical. Because Jesus is the Christ, He's the King. He's the Son of the living God, fully God and fully man, born in human flesh, Because of that, to deny that Jesus is the Christ shows that we do not really have uh, God the Father. For if we had the Father God, we would accept uh, God the Son. God is revealed in Christ. That's how you know who God is, by looking at Christ. And so to deny Christ means that you must deny God. That's what John is saying. He says, uh, this is actually nothing new. You've heard it, verse 24. From the beginning, this big theme here in this passage that I'm showing you, not overview. That is Jesus' teaching that he is the Christ. You've heard that from the beginning. He says, let that abide in you, remain in you. Don't move from that. For if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. If you want to know God, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. For God is revealed in Jesus, you see. Now, now we go back to that key phrase, the anointing that we have, verse 20, from the Holy One. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, it's helpful here to know that in Greek, anointing, uh, there's a resonance that is surely deliberate for John. Uh, anointing in Greek is chrisma, and Christ is Christos, you see. And so we have the Spirit of Christ, the chrisma, because we accept the Christos. That's why we're anointed, because He is the anointed one. 
And all those who are in Christ have the spirit of Christ, and so have the chrisma, the anointing as Christians, for he is the Christ, the anointed one, so we are part of his family, the anointed ones. And this anointing, being a Christian, accepting the Christ, and so having the spirit of Christ, well, that, of course, will protect you from anyone who tries to deceive you, uh, verse 26. Why? Because the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, verse 27. Now, that's an odd thing for John to say because he's been spending a lot of verses teaching them. Well, obviously, John does not mean that Christians do not need teaching in that sense, or apostles to teach him as he is teaching them as he writes. Well, what does he mean? He means that we do not need anyone to teach us anything different from the Christ, the anointing. Why? We have this from the beginning. Jesus is the Christos, the anointed one. You, if you're a Christian, have this Christmas because you worship Christ. He is the king long predicted, now arrived. And from this principle, everything comes by which His anointing, the Christmas, teaches you about everything. This is the principle from which we understand the whole meaning of life. We have the chrisma before we worship the Christ. Verse 27. See, John, my friends, is simply saying something like this in the second half of this passage. Now, don't let anyone come along and say something like this, so that Christianity, it's all very well. But now you need something different. Now, why, why do you not need to be confused by that? Well, let me tell you why, John says, because you have the anointing from the beginning. That is, you have the Christ. See? You've accepted that Jesus is the Christ, and therefore you have the Father God too, in all His fullness. Why? For Christ is the Son of the Father, and in Him is the fullness of the Father. So you lack nothing. There's nothing more to teach you in the sense of a further or greater revelation. Now, obviously, of course, you need to learn more and more about Christ and about that anointing as as John says, I'm teaching you right now, but you don't need anything in addition to that or on top of that. Why? You are Christians. You have the chrisma, the anointing from the Christos, the Holy One Himself. And you have this, as it was taught, right from the beginning. As, as Jesus taught this, as I heard Him, John says. And I'm now reminding you again. So you say, well, how do we know whether we really know God or if we follow Jesus from the beginning, which means loving Christians? It's one very good sign. And if if you're not sure whether you do love Christians, it may be a good sign that you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the stakes in this regard could not be higher. They're about eternity and eternal destiny. That's how you know whether you know God. If you become uh, very famous, uh, one thing may happen to you, which has happened to many famous people. You may have a waxwork made of you in Madame Tussauds. Uh, There's one in New York and one in London. Now, these waxworks are very clever and extremely detailed. And when a waxwork is made of someone, uh, Madame Tussauds would typically invite the person to stand next to the waxwork, and they'll invite in the media and the movie cameras just to see the person standing next to the waxwork. And when you look at it, it's really extremely clever. 
how well done this waxwork is. But you know one thing? You can always tell the difference. You know how? The waxwork doesn't move. Some of these uh, false spiritualities are very clever. They look like the real thing, but you can always tell the difference, John says, by going back to the beginning and asking yourself whether this is really loving other Christians and the family of the church and whether it's accepting Jesus as the Christ. It is an infallible test. You should carry that one through, the doctrinal and the practical. Jesus as the Christ and loving other Christians and the family of the church. And so, of course, we have to ask ourselves some questions like this. Do we love our fellow Christians? Old and young and in between? Or are we putting our desires, the way we see life, ahead of what other Christians actually need? And we have to ask ourselves this too, don't we? Do we see that Jesus is the Christ? Do we accept that? Or maybe there's someone here who's thinking, you know, I can, I can deny that Jesus is the Christ and still go to heaven. I can still have the Father God. Many people think that. John says that is impossible because I heard the teaching from the beginning, he says. Now, if you want the Father, you must accept the Son, for the Father is fully revealed in the Son. If you reject the Son, you're rejecting God. Or perhaps instead you're just feeling a little shaken by other teaching you've heard about other kinds of spirituality, even in our society today. And you're wondering, how do I know whether I know God? How do I know that I'm going to glory? How do I know I will live forever? Or remember what John says that he heard from the beginning. This is the original. It's from the beginning. And because of that, would you love other Christians and accept Jesus as the Christ? Let's pray together. Just a moment to pause and search our own convictions about our loves and our faith. As we come to the table in a moment to prepare our hearts for the king's table, the Christ Christos, who it's his supper. And perhaps to um, confess before him that we do not love other Christians as we should. Or perhaps at this time to put our faith in Jesus as the Christ, as that's the way to know God. Amen.